Father, we thank you for this time to reflect on your word. We ask that you would send your spirit and that you would use this time to take your word and to equip us for action. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a mystery for you to solve. In 1954, the Supreme Court desegregated public schools. Six years later, after all kinds of legal delays, a black child named Ruby Bridges started school at William France School in New Orleans. Up to that time, the New Orleans School District had been exclusively Caucasian. At that time, Bob Coles went to New Orleans to observe this time of great social unrest. Dr. Robert Coles was a professor of medical humanities and psychiatry at Harvard. He got to William France School, and outside at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, he saw a mob of people screaming. They were waiting for somebody to come out about a half hour later, and he began to ask some of them who they were waiting for. In response, he heard all kinds of vile language about the person who would be coming out of the school. They made the person sound like a monster who must be stopped. At 2.30, out came six-year-old Ruby Bridges, surrounded by U.S. Marshals. The crowd shook their fists at her and shouted that she was going to die and they were going to kill her. Ruby and the Marshals got into their car and drove off. Dr. Cole waited to see who else would come out of the school. There was nobody else. All the white students were boycotting the school. The few other black children who had been admitted stayed away. Ruby was the only student in the entire school. In Boston, Dr. Cole had been studying stress in children. He approached Ruby's parents about studying Ruby's response to this great social stress. They agreed. So for the next number of weeks and months, he met with Ruby twice a week and recorded his observations. Twice a week, he'd asked Ruby, how are you doing, Ruby? I'm doing okay. Mrs. Bridges, how is Ruby doing? She's doing fine. Mrs. Bridges, is Ruby sleeping okay? Yes. Are you sure? She's sleeping fine. How is her appetite, Mrs. Bridges? Fine. Are you sure she's eating well? She's fine. Mrs. Bridges, how is she doing with her friends when she gets home from school? Ruby's fine when she gets home from school. She plays with her friends. Sometimes she reads. But she's just in first grade, so she's only learning how to read. Mrs. Bridges, does Ruby seem upset? No, she doesn't seem too upset. Dr. Cole wrote, maybe Mr. and Mrs. Bridges don't know how to pick up on the symptoms. He wrote, all my prior experience has been with sophisticated, well-to-do, or middle-class patients. The Bridges are extremely poor. They're illiterate. Ruby's parents can't even sign their names. As for Ruby, she's probably more upset than she realizes. Days turned into weeks and weeks into months. And one day, Ruby's teacher said to Dr. Cole, I just don't understand this child. She seems so happy. She comes through the mobs cheerfully every day. And Dr. Cole said, well, sometimes when people are under tremendous stress, they gird themselves mightily. It takes time for them to understand just how upset they really are. 
The doctor did all kinds of stress tests on Ruby, but he could not understand her strength. He wrote, I couldn't explain it. Here's a six-year-old girl, girl being harassed day after day, but she and her family don't complain and they don't show stress symptoms. What a contrast to my patients in Boston who complain about all sorts of difficulties, seemingly without direct cause. And then one day came the breakthrough. One day, Ruby's teacher said to Dr. Cold, I saw Ruby talking with those people on the street this morning. The ones who harass her. Yes. He wrote, this was an interesting development for me. I went to Ruby's home that night and I asked her, Ruby, how was your day? It was okay. Your teacher told me that she saw you talking with the people on the street. I told her I wasn't talking with them. I was just praying for them. Ruby, you were praying for those people. Yes. Why did you do that? Because they need praying for. <laughs> do they? Oh, yes. Ruby, why do you think that you need to pray for them? Because I should. It turns out Ruby normally prayed in the car on her way to school, but that day she'd forgotten to do so. Ruby's mother explained to Dr. Coles that they thought it was important to pray for people. She said that Ruby prays every night for all kinds of different people on her list. And Dr. Cole said, Mrs. Bridges, it strikes me that asking Ruby to pray for these people is asking an awful lot of her based on what she's going through. And Ruby's parents just looked at him confused. Her, mom, her mother said, we're not asking her to pray for them because we want to hurt her but we think we all need to pray for people like that. Don't you think they need prayer? A couple weeks went by, and still puzzled, Dr. Cole asked her one last time, Ruby, why do you think it is that it should be you who prays for these people? Why especially it should be me? Why you especially, Ruby? Because if you're going through what they're doing to you, you should be the one who prays for them. And Ruby went on to say that she heard the minister at church say that Jesus went through a lot of trouble. And he told God, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And Dr. Cole summarizes this way. How is someone like me to account for that, psychologically or any other way? But there's little Ruby who has taken no courses in moral analysis or systematic ethics. She hasn't read the books we treasure, yet somehow she walked through that mob praying for those people every day. Let's answer Dr. Cole's question. How are we to account for Ruby's response? How are we to account for a six-year-old girl walking through hell every day and then going home and playing happily with their friends? How are we to account for this little girl going through one of the most evil chapters in our nation's history and emerging unscathed? Ruby may not have used these words, but it sure looks to me like she was wearing the full armor of God. 
In Ephesians 6, Paul describes this armor. He describes the reality of evil in the world and how to combat it. Like Ruby, Paul was no stranger to evil. Like Ruby, Paul had plenty of experiences with mobs. Sometimes they ran him out of town. One day they beat him so badly, they were convinced he was dead, and they left him for dead. Paul was put in prison many times, yet the despair that pervades prisons never seemed to faze him. A bounty was placed on his head, and he had to sneak out of Damascus in secret. He faced all kinds of legal and political conspiracies. He was used to evil. Knowing the things that Paul encountered, I would expect him to tell us, watch out for conspiracies. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. I would expect him to tell us to learn how to politically outmaneuver our enemies. I would expect he would tell us to find the best lawyers possible and keep them on retainer and speed dial. And when that doesn't work, to be sure that you have a good flak jacket or body armor for when the evil people get violent. But Paul tells us none of that. Instead, he says, don't be fooled. He says, don't be fooled into thinking that our struggle is against humans. Don't be duped into thinking that our struggle is against flesh and blood. He says in verse 11 and 12, our struggle is against the spiritual forces of evil, against the cosmic powers of evil in this present darkness. How comfortable are you thinking about evil in these terms? My guess is that for most of us, myself included, we think of evil in more human terms. We think of organized crime, of terrorists, of insider trading, of people scheming behind closed doors. This is one of those passages that I don't fully understand. Verses 11 and 12. It presents a picture of reality that I would rather not think about. I believe that the devil exists. I believe that he's up to bad stuff. But it just sounds weird to talk about these, these evil spiritual forces seeking to derail our lives. Is this really the way it is? A helpful way for me to think about this is to go back to when I was six years old. During that time, I lived in Colorado, and my dad was a researcher at a university. My dad's a veterinary pathologist, which is just a fancy way of saying he studies diseases in animals. And at that time, he was studying cancer. There were all kinds of dogs at his lab who had cancer and on the weekends, different people would be on call. And when one died, when he was on call, we would go to the lab and I would take along my coloring books and color in his office while he would go to the lab and he would deftly cut the animals open and separate their organs and take tissue samples and do all this fancy stuff. And at the time, I didn't think much of it. Dad was just doing what dad did. That was his thing. But last week, my dad and brother were out here visiting. And after church, we went out for lunch, and he described to me what he's doing now, what research he's doing now. And now that I've taken 
many more science classes, he can talk about RNA and DNA and all kinds of fancy things that I still had to ask a lot of questions about. But all of a sudden, I had a much greater appreciation for what he knows. That doesn't mean I understand all of the things he understands or that I know all the things he knows, but I was struck by his expertise. Sometimes we need to trust people who know more than we do. We may not all understand all the things they understand, but they're a trustworthy source and they know more than we do. Paul comes to us out of all his experience with evil, out of all the things that God has taught him, knowing more about evil than we probably ever will, and he says, this is how it is. It's almost like in this passage, like God is letting us look through his night vision goggles for a moment to see the struggle, the battle that is really going on, to see the things we can't see. And the interesting thing is he gives us this glimpse, but he doesn't explain it all. When Paul explains the struggle, he doesn't seem concerned that we understand exactly how these evil forces operate. We might like to know, and we might think that it's beneficial to know exactly how they operate, but Paul doesn't diagram the plays. He doesn't say, this spiritual force goes there, and then this happens, and then that happens. He seems more concerned just that we know this reality is there, and he seems more concerned about how we respond than that we understand all the exact details. It's like he's saying, don't worry, don't worry too much about the evil forces, just worry about your response. And then he goes on to say in verses 13 through 20 how he wants us to respond. I'm going to paraphrase him, and this is what he says. He says, know the truth so well that it's like a belt around your waist that you take with you wherever you go. Put whatever kind of shoes on your feet that will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. Take faith with you, like it's your shield that will defeat the attacks of the evil one. Know and carry your salvation with you. Put it on like a helmet. Have the knowledge of your salvation soak in and permeate your whole being. Have the word of God be your sword. He talks about how right conduct will be our breastplate. And the last thing he says is to pray and keep alert and to persevere. He describes how all these things together form a complete package of protection. The things he describes sure sound a lot like the things Ruby Bridges did. Simple things. Not easy, but simple. Ruby had the belt of truth around her waist. She walked around knowing God's truth. She had the sword of the Spirit. She quoted the Word of God, knowing exactly what it meant for her life. She acted rightly, making her right acting the breastplate that protected her. She walked through that mob each day surrounded by marshals, but also carrying with her her shield of faith that God was with her. 
And she had her helmet of salvation. She understood the gospel story. And every day, she laced up her shoes with prayers that made her ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. Who is more highly educated in the way the world works? Dr. Coles, the eminent Harvard professor? Or the illiterate Bridges family and a young six-year-old girl? We may read this passage in Ephesians and, and have some misgivings about it. But before we get too full of ourselves and question if, if Paul really knew what he was talking about, what if we just took him at his word? What if we just followed his example in the example of Ruby? You may know that at the height of the Iraq war, there were two different kinds of body armor U.S. soldiers were using. There was the really good stuff. The good stuff weighed 16 pounds. It was ceramic plated. It could stop bullets from an AK-47. But the army couldn't procure enough of that good body armor fast enough for all the soldiers to have it. So some had inferior armor. And friends and families in the U.S. were raising money to, to buy and ship the good stuff over to their loved ones. Some of us today are very aware that the armor we've been using is inferior. And we can feel the bullets coming through and we have the bruises to, to prove it. If you're tired of fighting all the wrong battles, Jesus would love to give you some new armor. Let's pray. Father, you see the struggle we face so much better than we do. I ask that you would give us the obedience and the faith to wrap our minds around the reality that you see. We ask that you would give us the faith and the courage and the obedience of Ruby, of Paul, you know that we need your help to do this. And so as we enter another week, would you show us where our armor is weak? Would you show us the things we can do to put on your armor? And would you equip us to do those things? We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.